<sighs> All right. Roller on the Barrel Show. Vintage Baseball Talk. Talking to vintage baseball players. Goss, goss, blah, blah, blah. That's what we do here. Uh, I am your host, the Barrel Roller, Matthew Bernard. I'm joined by the other host. That's right. Swamp Fox. Rudy Swamp Fox Frias is here as well. Let me just say real quick, the intro is just flowing. It just flows out of you. That's your that's your background music. <laughs> when you say it's Rudy appropriate, Frias, I like it. <laughs> you know. Uh yeah, hey Rudy. Hey. We're home. Everybody's home. Yes. I feel like we've you've been on the road far longer than me, but yes, everyone's home. Settling in. Yes, I was on the road. Uh, let's go through that a little bit for everybody. Uh, I went to uh, the Doc Adams Festival in Old Bethpage, New York. I don't, did I talk about this yet? I don't know. I've released <laughs> so many things lately. I can't keep track of everything that's out there. Anyway, I went to Old Bethpage. I saw two days of the Doc uh, Adams Festival. Uh, Old Bethpage, of course, obviously amazing. I saw Gary Monte, the uh, umpire from the Conan O'Brien sketch. I was geeked about that. He was not. Uh, I saw. <laughs> uh, I saw a lot of great vintage baseball. I saw amazing teams: uh, the Providence Grays, the Brooklyn Atlantics. Uh, now I feel like everywhere I go, Brooklyn is. But really, we know everywhere I go, Canton is, because they were there. And we, I got to call an 1884 game between Canton and uh, Providence. And uh, go back in the archives and listen to that. That was amazing. I loved the flow of the game. It was nonstop, and it was uh, a lot of fun. Did you listen to that? Oh, of course I listened to it. It was great. I loved every minute of it. Have you played in an 84? Yeah, I've played, I've played in two 84 games. I played, my first one was in 98, and then my, my last one was in uh, the summer of 2008. I made sure to spread it out. Yeah, it was a. Uh, my last one was against the Grays. It was a Gotham. It was intense, like in a good way, like because you get used to you know vintage baseball and everything, and then it's like a, a shot of adrenaline in your arm. I love it. Yeah. So in this, uh, before I finish it up, in this episode, we have the captain of the Bovina Dairyman. It's Nicholas Franson. He's going to be coming in shortly, in the next four or five minutes, I would say. If not before, but yeah, so I saw uh, that and then I left and I stayed a day in Times Square at a hotel where my view out the window was the wall of the adjacent hotel <laughs> right next to it. Like there was, I could have jumped into the hotel room across the alley from me, me, <laughs> but uh, so Times Square, I tuned toured New York City. I'd only been in New York City once as like a 12-year-old, and uh, so it was basically all new to me. And I uh, went on the Staten Island Ferry, did a bunch of cool stuff on the tour. Then we went to Philadelphia for a couple of days. It Listen, if you don't ever listen to any advice I give you people, go to Philadelphia. Oh, my God. You have to go to Philadelphia and tour everything. A life-changing experience Philadelphia was. It's a beautiful place. Not old. It's a great combination of old and new, and it's not scattered. It's like, here's old, 
You can go over there to new and it's, Oh my God. And I went to a Phillies game and that's a great stadium. I like, I like that stadium. So, and then we went to Baltimore and I got rained out in Baltimore from basically doing anything. And I did not like Baltimore from what I saw of it. So <laughs> yeah. And then we it's went that, to, <laughs> you didn't like, you didn't like Camden yards. I hear it's amazing. There. I didn't get to go in. I bought my ticket. It wasn't raining yet. And I'm like, I just got to get in. I don't even care about staying for the game because I knew it was going to rain. I'm like, I just got to get in, do a walk around, see everything, grab some food. I'm good. I don't even need to be here. And just as they're getting ready to open the gate, uh, downpour. And uh, that reminds me, I got to put my ticket up on uh, StubHub. And they keep winning, so maybe (laughs) I'll make some money off of this. And Nice. And then two days in Washington, D.C., where we toured everything. Uh, uh, yeah. just in, I, I, Over the course of that vacation, I stood in the room where they signed the Declaration of Independence, and then I stood in front of the Declaration of Independence. I, I stood next to the theater box where Abraham Lincoln was shot. I was in a room with his hat. And I've already seen the chair at Greenfield Village that he was shot in. So, wow! I mean, it was just very surreal, very kooky. I loved every second of it. And then I finished it up by going, flying back in and uh, driving like a madman to the World's Tournament. I wasn't going to set up and do anything on Saturday because I knew I was going to be exhausted. And I couldn't help myself. It was like opening up presents on Christmas Eve. Do you do that? Oh, Rudy froze. Yeah. Yeah. You're back? There you are. <laughs> I keep losing you. Are, are you losing me on your end? We do one. I was so excited. Yeah. No, I hear you. I hear everything. You sound great. Okay. It's interesting. And You're, also, uh, yeah. go ahead. Uh, Nicholas here. Nicholas is here. Hmm. Yeah, so yep. okay. Nicholas is here and uh we're going to be bringing him into the the room to do our interview. Uh yeah, so obviously we did 2 days of the world tournament. I did some live stuff on Saturday to prepare for uh doing the live feed on the championship game on Sunday between Walker and Flat Rock. Uh and we did that, and it came off. I didn't have any technical difficulties, which I'm known for, and like I'm having right now with Rudy, although right now he's fine. But we've been having and, uh And then I came home, and here I am. And, uh, yeah. What have you done, Rudy? <laughs> uh, nothing. Just went to the world tournament. And uh, enjoyed that environment, and uh, then uh, took a little bit of extra time afterwards to uh, spend a, a few days at Lake Michigan at a, a little lakeside home. It was, it was it was beautiful. So yeah, coasting into the the rest of the season. How was the water at the lake? Freezing cold. Yeah. <laughs> the kids 
How long did they last going into that? Water? So once you, once you, once you became acclimated to it, it was nothing. My son, uh, went like, you know, ankle deep and like ran around in it. And then once he had that initial fall in, he was like splashing and jumping in the water. He was great. So yeah, once you, uh, once you, uh, freeze all your nerve endings, the water is fantastic. So do we got Nicholas in here yet? Yeah, here he is. Oh. Still waiting. Nicholas, are you here? I hear him. There hey, you are. Well, there you are, sort of. <laughs> here I am. I, uh, so I'm finishing an email here. Um, I'm asking this older lawyer around. Oh, sorry. Let me start my video. I'm asking this older lawyer how I might sue the town and make my town supervisor look bad. There you go. Uh, so just so you know, you are being recorded right now uh, on oh, two God. different levels. Stir the soup. Stir <laughs> I just... the soup. <laughs> uh, good hey, man, to... you know. Go ahead. You can't make any meaningful change if you don't tell anybody you want change. Is that there what you've you heard? Go. Uh, I just made that up, but I could attribute it to Lincoln if you want. <laughs> I was going to say, this sounds like Gandhi. Yeah, I, I like Gandhi. Yeah, that could be Gandhi. I like it. If you come up with a quote that involves thinking, you can just attribute it to anybody. Everyone will believe you. It don't matter. <laughs> Mr. Franson, captain of the Bovina Dairyman, uh, vintage baseball model. I saw a picture of you standing next to a mountain, you know, this picture, like it's the mountains over your shoulder and you're just kind of looking at the mountain, you know, this picture, right? Yeah, that's, that's at our ball field. I think, um, you know, I'm like looking wistfully into the distance or some such. Yeah. No, that's, uh, that's out West. That is in Glacier National Park. Yeah. That I know the one you're talking about. Very erotic. I like girls, by the way. Uh, So it hurts me to say that. Rudy, you got to see this picture of the mountain range over his shoulder. I'm going to have to do a Facebook search here. What we have to do, Rudy, is we have to start interviewing ugly people because I am so offended by the rugged good looks of everybody that comes in here lately. Well... I mean, considering this is an audio medium, I think you're doing great. You know, like it's true. Nicholas, tell everybody how you came across vintage baseball. How did you get involved? So I am from a very small town called Bovina, New York. Not Bovina, it's Bovina, New York. And uh we are a historical dairy. Uh, farming community in the Catskill Mountains, and you know it's small. And and after that, in 2008, um, some older guys around town, like my dad's generation, a couple of those guys, started vintage baseball team. They, do you remember never them? Heard, never heard. Never heard of them. Oh man, they're they're so famous that some would call them infamous. Um, and uh, they they were 
they were like real, really the powerhouse around here and the model that we all copied. Um, so, you know, Bovina Dairymen were started in 2008 by this total character named Harlow. Uh, and, you know, I was like one of the young boys on the team back then. Me and a couple other guys that I played ball with when I was young, including my brother and these two other brothers that we played, we like all our dads played on the team. And so it was like half and half, you know, old guys and their sons, basically. And their son's friends eventually. And so I was a catcher. Um, unfortunately, I still am sometimes. But, uh, and so, you know, we, we played for a while. The team puttered along for several years. And then um, when I was in my second year of law school, I got a phone call on a Thursday night from Harlow. <clears throat> and Harlow says, All right, Nick, we've got a game on Saturday. We're playing the Fleischmann's Mountain Athletic Club. That's Colin Miller's team, a oh, wonderful human being. And uh, he says, we've got a game on Saturday, uh, and I can't make it, so you're going to be my lieutenant, and you're going to run the show. I said, okay, fine. How many guys do we have? He says, well, uh, assuming you're in, we've got one. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thursday night, Thursday night. So he and I, like, run the phones the next couple of days, the next day and a half. We put together nine guys. We play at this local dairy fest, um, and we beat the Mac in a walk-off, 24 to 23. And I was hooked. And here I am five years later, captain of the Dairymen. Okay, so Bovina, the Bovina, New York area, is known for its dairy products, right? Is not, is not a cow referred to as a bovine? Is that wrong? That is 100% correct. Um, so what came first? Bovina, the the bovine or the bovina? Boy, I, uh, I I hope it was bovina that came first, but I imagine it was bovine. The Latin, I suppose. I have to give deference to the Latin. <laughs> oh well. The lawyer in you brings up Latin. Yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> so you've been playing for a handful of years. Uh, I was told by Mr. Feeney of the Canton Corn Shuckers that you guys were the best team at Gettysburg and probably could have, not should have, but could have won uh, that tournament. Have How, I don't know how else to say this, because I, I don't know you or your club, so how, how competitive have you been in the last handful of years? Uh, you know, so, so since I took over the team, I mean, you know, we, I think, our winning percentage is in the 750 or or so range or something like that. Um, so, you know, we've, we've put together and, and, you know, I think I'm a little bit lucky to be honest. Um, you know, there isn't really adult baseball around here. And so I can really dip into, you know, basically an all-star team of the last 20 years of, of like graduates from, you know, like two or three local high schools. And, uh, but also, you know, I, I, a lot of people, the most important part about running a baseball team is making it a place where people want to hang out. They want to spend time. I mean, it's a big ask. I'm asking guys to dedicate nine, 10, 11 weekends a year to this project. And so I've been very conscious about doing the things that 
allow me to make it into a place where people want to be, want to bring their families, want to be a part of for a long time. And that's the kind of stuff like fundraising, having a website, you know, getting press, getting people to come to the games, doing these like team dinners and inviting families, you know, uh, 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 did I, did I say fundraising? Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. But you know, all, all those things. And so, you know, we've built a, a real core of guys who are, who are in our thirties. Um, you know, our, our core is probably like 30 to 37. Um, that like, they want to be there, you know, I've, I've got, I've got, you know, seven or eight guys who are going to make nine or 10 weekends this year. And, and that's a lot. So I, I think it's, you know, a little bit lucky, a little bit of hard work and blood, sweat and tears and all that. Yeah. Yeah. You're definitely one of the first guests. Oh, yes. We've never really met. I'm Rudy. Nice to, nice Rudy, to meet you. I love your beard, dude. Thanks, dude. Thanks. Uh, um, it, it's it's really interesting that you bring that up because like you're one of the very few people that talk about uh, uh, of vintage baseball, making it an enjoyable experience and something people want to commit time to. Um, when did you when did you realize that? When did you realize an investment and retention? I need to do focus on this. When we started playing away games, uh, you know, when we were when we were just playing three, four, five weekends a year, and it was all within you know an hour driving distance, like it didn't really matter. Yeah. But when we got more serious, you know, I realized how much time I was putting in, and then also how much I was asking these other guys to put in. And I don't know what other teams run their clubs on, but I, I get the impression that. Um, how do I say this? I get the impression that like I place a very high priority on fundraising in order to spend it on these things. You know, I don't know what other people do. That's what I'll say. Um, and uh, but also like you know, it's it's awesome to go to an away game, and I allot a, a big portion of our budget just for away games. Like my philosophy is like if you're gonna drive and go there, blah, 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 spend all this time. Like, I want to treat you as much like gold as I can. Nice. So if we have a, if, if, you know, if I can bring the whole team to dinner and like swipe my card and then, you know, get it paid for out of the team account, like I do it. Yeah. Um, and the guys and their families, they notice. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you very much. I, uh, is, uh, that's above and beyond that. That doesn't happen on most clubs. So what you're saying right now is shocking people. Like, what the hell did he just say? Did he say he whips on a card and pays for everybody's dinner? Yeah, yeah, all the captains are going to have my rear for that. I'm right here. I'm like, we're going to have to cut that. I hope none of my clubs listening. I I mean, you know, look, it, it takes time. You're right. But, like, you know, you're running a small organization, um, and I've – I think I, I, I stumbled upon that realization partially also because like when, once our uh, games started to become more like events, I realized there was like an interplay between like, you know, there's two groups of people that you're playing to. There's, there's the, the, the players who have to want to be there, mm-hmm. but there's also the fans. Most of our fans like don't really care about baseball, but <laughs> they love 
coming out to the ball on a Saturday. There's this old time advertise and blah blah blah, and like you know, it's this kind of symbiotic relationship that that has to be there. And don't get me started on the historical accuracy thing because I have some thoughts on that. Oh, that's no, no, (laughs) stop the show. Uh, that's exactly what we're going to talk about now. This is, yeah, you're, you're, you're a host. You gotta, you really, yeah. So when I was in the military, I worked in the intelligence field and they call that a lead. Uh, it's hot button topic. Uh, yeah. Historic baseball accuracy. Uh, I want to know what you have to say about it. I don't even know. And I want to hear it, man. I'm a, I'm a firm member of the new guard. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's cool that this thing is, you know, part historic reenactment woman that I was dating once called it a Renaissance fair. for jocks. <laughs> That's not wrong. And that is hundred percent not wrong. Um, you know, it, it's true. It is like there is this theatrical element to it and that I really enjoy, you know, any anyone that you talk to who knows me will tell you I have a big personality and I like to I like to put the uniform on and go play this big personality or or, or, or let let it out, I guess, you know. All week I'm a lawyer, I have to be nice to people and you know, oh like well, you know, it's no problem, send it tomorrow or you know well, I know it's okay that you forgot. But no, when I'm like between the lines in uniform, I get to like run around and be loud and talk to the crowd and, and, you know, it's great. Um, and, and doing that within the bounds of the historical accuracy is very difficult because, you know, and this is the example I use all the time, but I'll use it with you guys too. Uh, the smiling in photos. Nobody likes to smile. You know, like they didn't smile in photos back then. It's historically true proof. You know, Abe Lincoln didn't smile once in his life. Sure. Um, that brings our Lincoln reference counter up to two, by the way. Uh, oh, let me write that down. But yeah, if we get to three, then, you know, I owe you a dollar. Um, but, uh, you know, if you're doing, if you're advertising, for example, and you send out a bunch of pictures with a bunch of dour looking dudes, you know, people were like, is that fun? Should I go? Like, <laughs> should I donate? Should I buy their t-shirt? Like, are these guys having fun or like what's going on? And it's, you know, and that's just one example, you know, and like I interact with the crowd kind of a lot, especially at home games. I interact with the crowd a lot. Um, I've experimented with some other things like, you know, reading them these like semi-prepared historical facts of what actually was happening in 1864. You know, we'll talk about the election of 1864. That doesn't count as a reference. <laughs> um, and, and, and so, you know, like a lot of these things are, are maybe not historically accurate and, and maybe I'm like a little bit of the like brash new guard. Um, but also I think that, as with most things, there's a balance to be struck. So I'm very strict about 
classic on the bench for the most part, you know, like watches and sunglasses and all that. Like we are putting on a show and the uniform is requirement. Um, but the, I'm okay softening the edges a little bit to make it a little bit more palatable for a modern audience. And also like the guys who are dedicating their time to it. So if it's a rule that is historically accurate that I don't think reflects, I don't think advances the project, i.e. makes guys want to be there or puts, you know, bums in seats, as you Midwesterners say. Um, that's a hockey thing. I think. <laughs> uh, then I don't, you know, I'm okay tossing it. All right. So, so what you're saying is, uh, you don't, you're not hardcore vintage, but you know what? I, I don't think there's a lot of clubs out there that are like real. This has to be this way. There are some. I, I I guess maybe they're just, you know, more vocal. Um, Yes, they are. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe that's it. But you, uh, but I always tell people uh, that there's a there's a a show that you're putting on, and there it has to be. All right, I'm just gonna come out and say this stuff, okay? I I I hate trying to be the guy afraid to say something to try to soften. Blah 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 blah. One of the biggest things is the Ohio Village Muffins went out to the East Coast to learn how to play vintage baseball. They brought it back and they changed a bunch of bunch of stuff. And the East Coast wasn't happy about them bringing vintage baseball back and changing it to what the product they put out. But their product they put out was trying to make it more watchable for people and more palatable. And they probably, and I don't know this, but they probably weren't quite as skilled as the gentleman on the East Coast. I do not know that. That's just a feeling I have. So, <laughs> so nobody's wrong. That's the thing in this argument that has come up a couple of times. Nobody's wrong. Yeah. You do have to, if you want people, look, if you're a historical, like the Ohio village muffins, they're a historical society. They, they want people to come to the games. They, they put on a show they want. And if you got like fat guys like me stealing five bases a game, it's hard to sell that to people to come and watch, but it's also not historically accurate. <laughs> you know, like it's what they do yeah. is not accurate. So I can see why the East coasters would be like, Hey, what are you talking? The ball's never dead. Why are you guys killing the ball in the Midwest? It's never dead. And we have these arguments all the time and nobody's wrong. My big thing is every year vintage baseball, they were changing the rules. I hate how vintage baseball, the way it was meant to be played, they didn't feel that way because they changed the rules every year. <laughs> I wholeheartedly agree. I think I think baseball is a foolishly traditional sport, and I love it for that. I, I'm a big tradition fan in general, but I'm also, you know, I'm all for all the presidents that I like best were problem solvers, you know, and they saw something that wasn't working anymore from back in the day. And they said, Hey, we should, we should change that. Um, and so I think that I'm okay bringing the same attitude to vintage baseball. And, you know, it was really, so this was our first trip to Gettysburg this year. And, you know, um, we did well, we played three, one run games. Um, it was, 
maybe the most intense weekend of baseball um, of my entire life. No, it definitely was. Uh, and it was eye-opening from a captain's perspective to see how the game is different, you know, in the in the Midwest and the Mid-Atlantic. And, and I didn't see any other groups aside from those two. I know there was some, like, Southern stuff going on, and but I saw – you know, I, uh, we played against Elkton, Brandywine, um, Cannock Square, and then Flat Rock. Uh, and, you know, it, it blew my mind when I heard that the norm in other areas of the country is the gentleman's call. Like, the umpire isn't supposed to be, like, a, a driving force in the game. And, and that's crazy to me, you know? Like... Um, I mean, I guess, you know, there's a, there's, there's a, there's a, I don't know. We just didn't grow up that way, I guess. Like the umpire calls and the players play. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the players take everything they can get and the umpire enforces the rules mm-hmm. and, and it's, it's different. Um, I, you know, not better, not worse. It's cool that like, 18 grown men can get together and just work it out themselves. There is something very beautiful about that. But they don't do it. Nicholas, they don't do it. Don't listen to that. It doesn't happen. Are they talking a big game? And yeah. Okay. We in the Midwest, we do a thing called single matches that don't matter so much. And people are more than willing to call themselves out of these matches because there's no stakes. But if you put stakes in front of people, all of a sudden, nobody's leaving a base. No umpires at the world tournament just a couple of week, last weekend, we saw uh, nobody calling themselves out, even if they were out by a step or more. No, we're waiting for the umpire. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So that's that's kind of overblown. I wonder if the Gettysburg tournament format like bled out because a lot of those Midwest teams were there, or certainly some of the what I understand to be the the, the best clubs out in that circuit i'm talking about you know flat rock and walker tavern well you I, did no you did get beat by clubs. you did get beat by one of them so i mean my god they were good <laughs> like i couldn't believe it i saw i i come up and i i take a look at flat rocks you know lineup and i'm like what is going on here these guys look like a bunch of you know beer drinking lumberjacks just like <laughs> crawled out of like a a factory floor and they're just, <laughs> and they're beating us. They're beating us bad. I couldn't believe it. But, but I love this this uh narrative. So like I'm in Ohio and uh I was in I was at Gettysburg. I actually watched uh we were so confused, uh my club in general, by your club because uh we were like, Who the hell are they and why are they so good? Because we had been going to Gettysburg for um I would say six or seven years prior and so we 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 knew what was what we were getting into but it's hilarious that like even like a a tc the dirty pirate on brooklyn it's like you guys are a bunch of like farmer farm hands you're just a bunch of burly guys that hit the ball i'm like what are you talking about i live in a city what like it's very hilarious to like (laughs) hear that but it's really i'm 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 fascinated by the fact that I just met you and you, from what you described, you're like the perfect marriage of what the muffins spread in the Midwest, which is 
um, when I got involved in the early 90s, it was a more theatrical, like, presentation to engage the crowd. The umpire commanded most of the game, like, you know, calling everything out loud with flourish and people engaging, uh, players engaging with the fans. And then yet you also have, and not that the muffins don't uh, have it, but that respect to like, yeah, we're not going to have this on the bench. You're in uniform. You're putting together a presentation. We're going to respect the history of this as well. It's, mm-hmm. it's really interesting to hear this from someone that I literally just met. And um, So let's talk about like your Gettysburg experience in general. This was your first year. Now in the past, well, when we started going to Gettysburg in, I think it was like 2012, 13 or something like that, it was just straight up festival. So there was no tournament. So you would just go and play and experience, especially for a Midwest club, experience what baseball is like on the East Coast and the Mid-Atlantic. And you've already started hinting at that. Had you, were these clubs that you played, were they completely new to you or had you had experience playing with them in the past? Um, it was totally new to us. Uh, and, and like, you know, I, I knew Rising Sun. Uh, I'd played Elkton once before. Um, and like, I knew that there was like a big Midwest circuit, but I had no idea about any of that. Um, and I I mean, I, I was blown away at the level of competition there. I mean, you know, we're a bunch of like our average age is, you know, 32 or something like that. Uh, and that's just because like, that's who I know. Yeah. And you know, that's like the core that like we've put together it's like between me and my younger brother who's our shortstop by the way he's the one who hit that two-run shot against flat rock at the oh. ninth. we watched rough. yeah we were watching that from uh i think it was field one it was like uh wherever gettysburg and 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 them were playing we were we were down there watching it that was wild uh so that's my younger brother and he's like actually good the rest of us you know played baseball in high school um <laughs> but uh so it, it helps to have him on your team, you know what I mean? Um, but uh, I, I think, you know, I mean, we we beat up on teams, you know, somewhat regularly. Uh, and, you know, we – but we also, like, we're built as an overhand baseball team. And wow. the, I, you know, don't tell some people, including my girlfriend, who thinks underhand ball is thoroughly or something – um but like i i prefer i mean i'm like a rules nerd you know government baseball other like board games like i love how the stuff fits together and how it how it tweaks the advantages and disadvantages and so like for an underhand game i really appreciate it because you can't have this like one hit kill pitcher who strikes out 18 guys in a game and, you know, the rest of your team is trash and you, but you still win. That's not a thing. You know, we, you got to have like a pretty decent right fielder in, if you want to go to Gettysburg and win, you know, the competition stiff. Um, and, and that I was pleasantly surprised. I mean, you know, it's always nice to roll in and win the championship, but I'd prefer to, I'd prefer to lose a one run game then win in a blowout any day so that was really really cool and a little daunting for me as the captain because i'm like well shoot now we gotta 
now we're going to have to like travel more to see some of these teams that like might beat us. I mean, and don't get me wrong. Like we, we played in Rocky Point this weekend. We lost. We were three and one. But like there's some good teams out there and, and they know how to play the game and, and we don't. We're a bunch of like, you know, young athletes and that, that, that makes up for like some mistakes that we make. So isn't it the best part of a game? As you say, you don't know everything about the game and something comes up and you're like, what? And that's how that works. And you're like, wow, now that makes sense. Yeah. And you know, like I, you know, who is slick is Elkton. Boy, they're smart. Um, you know, they're, they're smart. And I don't want to let them know how on to them that we are. We noticed a few things they did. Like, oh, wow, that was sharp. Um, and it's just all these little things that they're good at. And, you know, you, you realize afterwards it's hard to adjust in the heat of the moment. But um, it's, it's more fun than, you know, just recruiting a 24-year-old pitcher who throws smoke and then you win. Mm. Um, so I, I personally... We were built as an overhand club, but I like moving in the direction of the underhand game a lot. Um, it's a lot of fun. Is it more 64 or 67, would you say, that you're... We play more 64 in the Northeast just because, like, it's easy to get a game in at an hour 45. Yep. And you know it's going to be done, and then you can move on to the next, and you can, you can schedule stuff. I was talking to, who's the Walker president? Um... Yeah, that sounds right. I saw him in Gettysburg after Sunday, like Sunday evening. They stayed, and so did my partner and I. And, uh, you know, he was saying, like, you guys all play the 67 fly game. Um, and, you know, you regularly have scores of you know, like 32 to 30 every game or something like that. Um, yeah, we played, we played Flat Rock in May of this year, and we lost 36 to 29. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's fun. Like there's a lot of offense. That's cool. But you know, I mean, is it disheartening? Like you go up there and you put up six runs in an inning and then, you know, it's like, it's not really that big of a deal. Nah. Yeah. Dude, <laughs> they put, they put 11 on us in the fourth and we put 12 on them in the bottom of the fourth. We're like, it, it's disheartening. It makes for an entertaining game, but yeah, it definitely, it can be a, a, a long one too. I can see that. Yeah, um, over here in the Midwest, it's if you're, it's basically two thoughts. If you're trying to reenact baseball and you enjoy going out and playing baseball and having fun with your friends and all that stuff, you're a 64 team. And if you're on the competition side and want to play stiff competition, you're a 67 team. And that's the way it interesting. is. Interesting. So, yeah, we're, we're kind of screwed. Because in Ohio, all the teams, there's only one other 67 team. So we're all 64 in Ohio. And we don't get to play our fly game. And so we had no. I want to ask, uh, consider dad uh, got kind of was the adult that got started in vintage baseball. And then all of my brothers ended up playing and then we just eventually became the Columbus capital so it was like a family thing so uh what's that dynamic like because I just love hearing this story so people we just played in 
Rocky Point, the festival there, or the Grays hosted. Great festival. Love it. We demolished the Grays. I always love beating the tar out of them. That always feels good. <laughs> um, and uh, that we'll leave that right there. So anyway, no, uh, we're we not. brought 11. No. <laughs> we're going to circle back. Uh, I don't want to stop your thought. We'll yeah, circle back. Take a note on the side <laughs> and we'll come back. Um, but uh, uh, we brought 11 players and six were related. So we wow. brought, so like myself, um, my dad still plays on the team. He's 64 years old. He, he pitches on the underhand games. He doesn't play overhand anymore. Um, although if he were here, he'd tell you it's only because the captain benched him. Uh, <laughs> but, it sounds like my dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, look, you're you're an underhand player now, all right? Like, it's, it's, you keep the book. He does a great job. Like, I love, he comes to every game. It's amazing. He's in uniform every game. Um, so it was like my dad, me and my brother, our first cousin who we, we like sort of lost touch with, you know, his parents got divorced. They moved to Virginia and like recently he sort of reconnected. He played with us at Gettysburg because it's kind of in the middle. Yeah. Um, and then he like, he loved it so much. He was a pitcher in high school. He was good. Um, and like reconnecting with family. So he's like, his dad has a, a vacation place in Southern Maine. So he's like, I'll come to Rocky Point. I'll see my dad um, and I'll, I'll play in the tournament. He, he pitched one of the overhand games. It, it was amazing. And then these two kids who were first timers, who were our second cousins were there. You know, it's like baseball extended family and, and we were short guys. So, you know, they came with their dad and like they looked at Johnson and Wales College while they were there and all this. So six out of 11 people were were, were doing that. And I guess maybe to, to speak more to my point uh, in answer to your question, like, you know, I was a stepkid when I was young and life was weird. And the man who I just referred to as my father was technically my stepfather. And the dairyman has been this wonderful way to start to have a relationship as adults that doesn't revolve around the shit that happened when I was a kid. And the same is true of my brother and I, you know, my mom and I, like my mom is the team mom. She loves it. You know, I, every game, you know, she's like doing something. I try to like force money into her hand, but from the hat, and, you know, we always pass the hat, by the way. Like, if you're not passing the hat at your games, like, what are you doing? We'll, we'll I, come back to that all. I've never seen a hat yeah. passed. Never. That's never. Crazy. Never. I pass the hat at every game. It's a, you are providing entertainment. If they want a tip, great. If they don't, also fine. But, so, it's, it's, but the, the dairyman has been this, like, wonderful vehicle to like bring my family together, you know, as adults in a way that like we just we didn't have, um, and you know, we 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 didn't know we needed. That's that's amazing. Number one, first off, like it's it's wild to hear this because my cousin, my first cousin, uh, my brother's first cousin, we they they were on the team as well, and. That's just like your journey is really crazy and, and really interesting to me. But I love, I love that, that it's, um, it's really bringing something more. 
and and it and me and so somebody on this podcast always says it's only as special as you make it mm-hmm. and it feels mm-hmm. like that what you really what you're creating for the dairyman is something very special so that's very exciting to hear the providence grays yeah we haven't forgot <laughs> i wrote it down i wrote it <laughs> I just was talking before you got in here, Nicholas, how I, for the first time, was able to see an 84 game in person. It was the Canton Corn Shuckers against the Providence Grays at Old Beth Page at the Doc Adams Festival. Uh, so I was able to be around the Providence Grays. I feel like I know the Providence Grays a little bit. What's uh, What's the beef, man? <clears throat> I think... Baseball has always been a personality and character-driven sport. You know, the, 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 the people that we remember, there are these larger-than-life figures who they do either crazy things or amazing things. They do impossible things. They do dastardly things, you know, mm-hmm. but they're characters. Sure. And they're people, you know, worthy of writing about, I guess, is, is really you know, what it comes down to. And um, the Grays have one of those personalities. Oh, no. And, and I think I might be another one. And whenever two of those get together, it's always a show. But it's fun. And so, you know, when, when I... Johnny? Met, <laughs> Are we what, talking about Johnny? No, I couldn't possibly name him. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> I when I first came into the league, kind of like the Dairymen were fledgling, and that summer I played a couple of games for uh, Chuck Chicarello, mm-hmm. um, who has been like a, a close friend and mentor to me throughout this whole baseball process and, and on life too, actually. But I played a couple games for his Bulldogs, <clears throat> and uh, I played with them for their first win ever, by the way, at Doc Adams. Um, we beat the. Uh, Oh shoot! Who was it? Anyway, it might have even been the Braves, but I don't. I, that might not be true. Anyway, um, we'd be a good team, and uh, then I played for him one time in Rocky Point, and we played the Grays, and it was an intense game. And you know, um, Chuck doesn't have the big, loud personality on the field as much as I do, and so you know, I really brought that to the game, and it, it, and it, it. I don't know. Like, there's just this, for me at least, there's this kind of aura around the Grays that they're like the founding fathers of Northeast baseball, you know, vintage baseball in in several respects. Not to mention, Babe Ruth played for the Grays. Like, mm-hmm. you know who that is? Like, he's he's kind of a big deal. Um, and so, you know, for 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 me. You know, when there's another personality like that on the field, like I have to compete with them. And and when you add in the like you know, this changing of the guard if with the Grace, you know, they are this like they're, you know, they're the Lakers and uh, all of a sudden Michael Jordan's around. And, you know, the Lakers are looking a little rickety. Um, and, but like that, that, that dynamic is like somehow special to me. And who knows if anybody else feels it except me. Well, but but that's makes it fun. Not only, I'm sure it makes it fun for them. 
makes it fun for you, makes it fun for the spectators, as long as it never gets too out of hand, which it doesn't sound like it has. So, I mean. And, and you know, I have mellowed significantly since I came into the league. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, I guess that happens with age. Uh, <laughs> but I, I – I think, you know, the maybe the point for me is that there's this, like, character-driven element and, like, story-driven element to, you know, vintage baseball that that makes it something that I am, like, willing to put time and effort in to, like, make it, you know, special. Uh, two things on what you said. We were actually supposed to be joined by Chuck Ciccarello before he came on uh, talking about, uh, what is that? The uh, the All Star Game that happens out there on the East Coast is that yeah. John the John Saint Martin or something like that? I'm sorry, I don't have John it in front of me. John C Martin, I believe. John yeah, C Martin. John Martin was a was a, a good friend and colleague of Chuck's who who passed away from um, uh, uh, ALS and uh, oh um, so every year Chuck puts on this All Star Game and I which I think is a misnomer to be honest the uh the als affiliation is uh it's 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 the captain say again uh, i think you're behind us barrel roller i am okay i'm back okay i haven't even talked to chuck about this als affiliation because whenever rudy and i do any kind of event in the future and everything we do als uh, we're affiliated with ALS fundraising no matter where we go and what we do. So uh, that'll no actually, I can add that to the conversation when he comes on next week. And the other thing is uh, in September, I didn't tell you this, Rudy, but Johnny Carlevale from the Grays is coming on as a guest in September. Oh, nice. So, I like Johnny a lot. He's a total character. He'll be fun. Hey, um, uh, Nicholas, take a second and, and circle back to your view on the all-star game because my brother my older brother ian has has uh been invited and played out there a couple of times and i, I just wanted to get your your let you finish your thought oh dude it's so i i think that the all-star game is is more properly thought of as like the captain's gala and <laughs> um it's 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 like a chance for all the like you know, and basically, like the way that I treat it and think about it is like the captain plus one gets to go. Yeah, yeah. If you're, you know, if you're not going as a captain, it's because you can't go. It's not because you don't want to. It's it's an opportunity to get together with a bunch of people who have a shared set of experience, like even a smaller shared set of experiences within vintage baseball, like as organizers, as you know, future leaders, past leaders, you know. There's elders, there's young people there, like learn like it's 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 a beautiful dynamic at the all-star game. And like I don't have to do any organizing. I don't have to send a single email. <laughs> I just show up and play. Yeah. Um with like a, a group of guys who I mean like yeah, it, it's competitive, but like there's never there's never an argument about like out and safe and it's just like, no, sir. I mean it just it's 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 a really beautiful weekend that, you know, we get to, we get to do. And like, it's, I don't know, there's something like nostalgic and, and, and not childlike, but pure yeah. about the game. And uh, I don't know, has your brother expressed? Oh, 
anything he like that. Loves like yeah, dude. He loves it. Like he just because you know he's essentially representing us heading out there and considering his vast experience in vintage baseball, it's the same thing. Like he's a younger, he's in his uh, early forties, but he's considered in vintage baseball years, the old guard. Mm -hmm. Because I mean, I think this is our 30th year in vintage baseball. Yeah. But yeah, it just speaks so highly of it. And you know, anytime that we can get a chance, like anytime I can get my team out there and and see everybody in play, because you know, it's just a, yeah, it's 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 a little different than the Midwest. That's all. I mean, and every, I think everyone knows it. So it it we we jump at the opportunity for sure. It's um, a, it's it's one of my favorite days of baseball every year. I, I look forward to it every year. And you know, if if I'm ever able to go, then I go. Chuck has done a fantastic job of putting that on, and um, it's it's a wonderful weekend every year. Uh, Mr. Adam Johnson, the captain of the Addison Mountain Stars, was teaching me the Chuck Chicarello hanky while pitching trick. Have you seen the hanky while pitching? Uh, is that is that where he like he does his like this this Pete Townsend thing with his arm or some such? There's a couple of different things that I haven't seen, but apparently he puts a hanky in his left pocket, so he goes and he pitches the ball and throws the Yankee out the hanky out of the pocket at the same time to divert your oh. eye to the hanky on the, you know, you're over there for a second and the ball's coming and maybe a miss hit. People don't probably swing at that very often, but the, he said there's another version where he can throw it straight up in the air or something like that. And, uh, and it gets the right wind. It kind of waves and stuff like that. I've never seen a pitcher uh, do tricks like that. Is that something you are familiar with? at all um not specifically no but i i know chuck has a couple other moves that he likes he, he likes he, he does this thing where he'll run up and and then pitch because as soon as you step into the box you can just pitch um so him and him and uh pine tar jeff cornhoff oh yeah um have have two of the most distinctive pitching styles. And, you know, I, I think it, well, they sort of grew up in vintage baseball together, as I understand it. Um, but they both like to be a little bit wacky on the mound, so to speak, um, in hopes of just messing, you know, it, it's like this, what's his name? Nestor Cortez, something <laughs> like that. Um, it, 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 it's very similar, you know, like just break up a rhythm of a hitter. And I think, you know, changing speeds. Like if you're if you're changing speeds from 30 miles an hour to 25, like that's a big change for a hitter. And so, like, it all matters. It, it's interesting because it, these are the little nuances that are uh, uh, that people pay attention to in Mid Atlantic and East Coast. Because if you did that here in Ohio, people would lose their mind. I had one team tell me that I was pitching the ball too fast, and that there was a rule that stated it couldn't be fast. And so that was, there like is no I, was rule. Like, I know it was really <laughs> upsetting, but like barrel roller, when you were at uh, doc Adams and you saw the, the foul tick throw over into the outfield to get the runner to take off and get the runner out at the base. Like that's, I see that we see that all the time when I played it in New York. And then like the 
pop fly pushed down to the ground to double up, you know, because there's no infield fly rule. Like you see these little these little things that I feel like you're you're you know Jeff and 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 Chuck uh, they take advantage of, and and also it gets the conversation going. Like uh, Adam Johnson described Chuck Chickarello's uh, pitching style as the most movement for something that didn't require it, and it was very like I was like okay I got an idea now. I mean he he's, he's Jerry Lewis up there, you know, um for sure. And uh sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but that's his style. So um I don't know, you know, like it it's But one of the differences is one of the differences Mr. Franson is on the East Coast you're dealing with an umpire that is giving you warnings way early like to where the hanky throw or some of the other things that they do to distract the hitter that can work if they've already been warned, you know, that that can work in those situations here in the Midwest. We're just going to take that pitch. We're going to take 15 more pitches too, because we're waiting for the one in the wheelhouse because our umpires don't warn anybody in the Midwest. Yeah. Um, and like that, that's unheard of on the East coast. Uh, it's it's like, hey, come on, you know, what are we doing here? Like, let's play baseball. Like, either either swing or don't. Actually, it's interesting. I want to uh, go back a little bit with this, like, with this with this calling style. So at at Rocky Point this weekend, so like my dad pitched, and he got he got two strikes on this hitter. We were playing the mutuals, but it was actually a Gray's player who was filling in, and it was a Gray's umpire. So. <laughs> So, you know, my old man is just lulling him to sleep with this high arc stuff, high arc stuff, high arc stuff. And then all of a sudden he's got two strikes on him and he fires one right down the middle pretty quick. And the umpire punched him out <laughs> looking. Then <laughs> oh, no. Punched him out looking in an underhand game. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> His own teammate was umpiring and he just looked at him and I think – as we were going through the line at the end of the game, it was late in the game too. I mean, we were up handily, but we were late in the game. And so we're going through the handshake line at the end. And you just hear him say like, I'll see you in the parking lot. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. It was right down the middle. And, you know, he'd been calling him right along. And that's something I don't really understand about, about your game, I guess. Um, and made us, change our pitching style too because we have like a good pitcher who can like zip it right in there um but it's useless if the umpire like you know you 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 expend all this effort to zip three four five pitches in there and after five pitches of like hard effort from the pitcher and beating up the catcher and maybe a pass ball you know there's maybe a warning and so it just it doesn't make any sense to like try hard at pitching, and that's you know a little annoying, but also, I it's just a different part of the game, so I get it. We do have mm-hmm. some we do have some pitchers over here that that put some steam on it, so it's not like it happens. And, yeah, and I don't, I, Rudy. This is the first time I've heard you tell the story of somebody saying that you're throwing it too fast. There's a rule. There is. There is no rule. Like, oh, yeah, it was very, it was troubling because it was last season, and uh, we, you know, we were ahead, and then they started to 
time up the hitter pretty well, I mean, our other pitcher pretty well. And I just came in and just started like zipping them in, like nothing dissimilar from what you're used to, Nick, I'm very sure. But like, they were like, oh gosh, stop everything. Like, it's like I had like invented a new style of pitching. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. They're about to burn you at stake to be historically accurate. <laughs> He's a witch. Burn him. Yeah, that's pretty much it. But, you know, and that's just like, because, you know, that's the vintage. I think the to just go back to, you mentioned it, Barrel Roller, it, it evolved. People learned how baseball was played in the 19th century. They started out one way. And as they got more, as they did more research and got more uh, education on it, it evolved. Like it has well, where it is now. Well, it started on as exercise. Started on as exercise, and then everybody wanted because we're men, and we turn everything into a competition. That didn't just start a couple of years ago. We turn everything into a competition. It's our, it's yeah. who we are. So yeah, I agree. And uh, though I think I think you succeed at vintage baseball as a club when one you're a club, and it sounds like the Dairymen are a club, not a team. Two. If you can walk out onto the field and want to beat the other team into the ground and not care when you get knocked into the ground, I think that's where you find, you know. Yep. Yeah. That guy, that, that guy's a ball player. You can't play with a baseball. Oh, fucking awesome. <laughs> you know, I, 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 think, I think you're right, Roller. Um, and I, you know, so I'll be – very honest with you. I don't watch modern baseball. I, you know, I can tell you that Aaron Judge is center fielder for the Yankees. But after that, like, I got, I got very little. You know, Juan Soto is a player who people talk about. Um, like, that's what I got. And it's, and, and, and part of the problem is that it's boring. It's so boring. If you're not like, a, especially on TV, but like, Modern baseball has a problem, a serious problem, and it's that every year the average fan base for for Major League Baseball just gets one year older. You know, they're not attracting new fans, and I think that, you know, we 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 have this idea that, you know, uh, most people don't have a very good sense of history, and we have this idea that the stuff that is currently – you know, either has been forever or is now as it should be and therefore should not change, whether it's geopolitical boundaries or rules of baseball. And, you know, neither of those things have been static for their for history. And, you know, I think that modern baseball needs to take a hard look at, like, what's exciting for people and for fans which is, by the way, like when the ball is hit in play, that's exciting for people. And, and figure out ways to make modern baseball less about strikeouts and more about putting the ball in play. And, you know, one of my immediate suggestions would be, you know, to, to take away some advantage from both groups, pitchers and hitters, so I, one thing that I would experiment with is I would basically get rid of the mound and require heavier bats. So you're taking away some advantage from both groups. And, and the hopes 
and my hopes for that would be that you know the ball's in play more often there are fewer strikeouts basically fewer strikeouts and you know people are going oh pitchers are going to hurt their arms not having a mound and blah 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 but like they got to tweak it or they're just going to become like these irrelevant coliseums monuments to a bygone era well pitchers hurt their arms no matter what i don't understand what why pitchers are so fragile now compared to what they were in the 60s and 70s when they pitched way more like yeah over twice as much as they do now and like everybody's so fragile and always hurt like there's so many the farther you go back in time uh in baseball the the complete games the innings pitched it's all it gets more the more backward you go so Cy Young's record of of win like I think Cy Young has more I, I forget what it is, but it's like he has more complete games than the next guy has like wins or something like that. Or, 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 or I, what it was some ridiculous stat, but yeah, like you started and you, you pitched the whole game. Um, and that's just and, the way it was. And, and now it's everybody's a specialized pitcher for whoever is up next in the lineup and, and you, make it less fun. You know what it makes it so Yeah, you know what kills me when I watch a game cuz I do I don't watch religiously, but I would say I watch half of the Tiger games during a season. I'm a fan. But what kills yeah. me is when a relief pitcher comes in and he's doing well and he still gets taken out because of a matchup. Like you just smoked the last 3 batters you faced and now a lefty's coming in so you have to leave the game so we can bring a lefty into face. I'm like, this guy's stuff is working. When you're a pitcher, your stuff's not always working, you know, and they don't do anything by feel. It's all on a chart and it kills me, but you're right. I I agree with everything you said about modern baseball. I mean, I've, uh, I just went to Juan Soto's return to the Washington nationals. I was at the game. Uh, Padres came in town. He got a big ovation. I don't understand why he just turned down a, a, the hugest contract in the history to play there because he didn't want to play there and they still gave him the big ovation and everything. He's the most annoying player in the world to watch, by the way, in an at bat. And, uh, is he the one who does the stare down of the pitcher and he kind of like, uh, he gets really low. He's doing every movement in the world he can. He's yeah, he's yeah, always yeah. got some kind of glare or something to say. He's just the worst. I don't. Uh, they tried to get rid of one of the rules they put in to help speed play was no stepping out of the box and readjusting yourself and blah 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 blah. But that seems to be gone gone because people are just doing that still. And uh, they do have a problem with modern baseball. It is boring as hell. <laughs> even when you go in person, it's boring as hell. I was bored out of my damn I... mind. <laughs> <laughs> you got to bring your scorebook and do the. You got to do your own book so you have something to do. Which, by the way, I like doing. Um, it's interesting that you modern that that you mentioned that. Uh, I don't know if, if this is your words or I was, I'm putting them in your mouth, but you know, a, a little bit of the a little of oh, the feel is gone. The magic is gone. Like it's, it's, it's too analytical and it's not fun. Um, you know, I, somebody asked me the other day when we were at Rocky point, they're like, Oh, uh, 
you know, you call a game when you're catching. And I'm like, yeah, usually, but if a pitcher wants, I just let him throw and like, deal with it. Um, and that's fine. You know, pitchers are fragile beings. <clears throat> um, and, uh, and they said, well, how come the catcher doesn't call, like, how come you call, like, the catcher doesn't call the game in modern baseball? <clears throat> and I said, well, like, one, you know, like, so, like, the, the catcher historically called the game because they're the ones who were looking at the whole field, and they could look at the way that a batter held his feet or cocked his hands or, you know, shifted his shoulders or, you know, missed missed some particular pitch or, you know, and, or like, you know, it was really susceptible to, you know, uh, uh, you know, two low outside pitches and then like an inside fastball, whatever. Like the catcher was doing all of this. The catcher's role was to be like part of the analytical team or like the analytical team. And now the catcher doesn't call the game because like a team of six you know, nerds uh, are are doing that, you know, in the booth. You know, they have six, they have a, a dozen cameras that are watching everything and recording everything, and they just plug it into a computer and, and tell the pitcher what the highest probability thing to do is next time. And, like, that's not why sports are cool. Sports are cool because you're down 11 to 5 in the top of the ninth, and the dairymen come back to score eight runs, five with two outs, and beat the Westfield Wheelmen at Rocky Point this weekend. That's why sports are cool. <laughs> you know, like, the, the sports are cool because, like, the dairymen play a four to three baseball game in 12 innings against Elkton. And, you know, these, like, this other old guard team who I like have this immense respect for and like eventually want to get to the point where we're shellacking them too. You know, like I, they, like we played a four to three game with them where, you know, like back and forth and defensive gems and like trying to get an advantage and they're sneaking stuff and we're trying like it, it's, there's this magic about sports that, you know, I'm not the first to recognize or opine about, but, you know, the, the, the analytics really take that part away from me. Yeah. I used to love baseball. It's funny is, uh, they don't, they don't want to make superstars. They just keep everybody down and, uh, it's just all TV contract money. Actually, how that's, that's all it is. How how does a sport that's dying and it's dying, uh, have all this money for all these players and all these stupid contracts they do. It's all television money. That's what everything is nowadays. You know, I saw, I, I turned on the Little League World Series this weekend, and there was a team that between every single pitch would stop and turn to the coach to see what the next pitch play was. Yeah, yawn. And college football teams that do that make me yawn too. Like that's, they got to look over and they're holding up 17 different signs for you to, come on, you, what are we doing? You know, my... When I played, I played Legion baseball in the summertime when I was when I was in high school, and um, you know, I, in, in my high school career, I got I was a catcher, and like I got to call the games, and I really liked that, and I was pretty decent at it. I was a good catcher. I was a, I was an excellent defensive catcher. I was an okay hitter, um, but uh, my Legion coach would uh, he just had a very simple system. You know, 
if the ball was in his right hand, it was a fastball. If the ball was in his left hand, it was a you know curveball. And if he was holding two balls in one hand, it was a changeup. Um, and you know he called the pitches from the bench. And I don't know, you know, I guess I I'm okay with that sort of thing because it's it's not this like hyper hyper you know excel spreadsheetized version of baseball it's it's like one person like trying to figure it out but the whole point of being a catcher the whole point of playing catcher the whole point of wanting to become a catcher is you have a sense of the game why that's why all these catchers go on to be major league managers yeah i wholeheartedly agree so Uh, i just know if you have a, a worthy catcher uh, even a somewhat, just an average catcher, let him do his damn job. I mean, this every pitch stuff is nonsense. Yeah, it's too bad. I don't, I don't know what the problem is. Um, but uh, no, I, I, and another thing too, man. You know, like it's, it's. I mean, it's just too corporatized at this point. It's, it's. You know, there's, there's a lot of money at stake, and I, I think the, the people who play it have have realized that you know at some level you know it's not worth hey get out of there get out get out of here kitty get out of here. Get. Your, um your cat's name is kitty no the cat's <laughs> name is Nisha. um uh at some level you know I, I think did you watch the last dance it was about you know jordan and all that yeah um, uh i, I like yeah I liked it a lot, and Michael Jordan is like one of these personalities that is worthy of study for sure. Um, and you know, somebody on there said that like you know, the basketball teams like of the '90s, like they hated each other. You know, like there was there was very little of this kind of like getting together in the off season and working out together, and like it was much more. It was much more. I don't know what the word that I'm looking for is, but like. There was competitive. There was like, it was much more like warrior culture that was, you know, imbibed in sport in general. And, you know, coming from the military, like, you know, I like that. Um, you know, I, I, well, let's just stick with baseball and, and basketball for now. Um, but like, it's, it's, you know, there's, it was much more, I don't know, warrior like. Um, and today, like all that has been like stamped out of the game. The personality has been stamped out of the game to the point where like a guy like running the bat across his junk in between pitches is, you know, like that's what how people express themselves in baseball. And I don't know. I, I don't I don't want to get into this space where we're just lamenting how like, you know, the way things used to be. But <laughs> we're we're sounding like some sad old men. You're not old. I am. Uh, yeah. You guys, you guys sound like a bunch of old men. <laughs> I guess the point is, is, you know, we'll finish this by saying like, there's a lot of magic in vintage baseball. And that's why I love it because it's, it's personal. It's gritty. You know, it's like personality and character and story driven. There's like these fun family storylines and, the world There's, needs us, Nick. You know, you're, you're, the world needs us now more than ever. 
Don't you know, know, Roller, I hadn't thought about it like that, but when you say it, you, I think you're right. The world does need us. They do. Uh, they're going to find we're, us. We're like the Abe Lincolns of, you know, modern. That's baseball. a one dollar. You can find me on. Yeah. It's one dollar. You can find me on Venmo ah, or Cash App. <laughs> <laughs> hey, before we get you out of here. Uh, I don't know. Before anyway. we get you out of here, I want to talk about the fact that you're a lawyer. I want you to tell me and explain to me what a former investigative analyst at the Manhattan DA office does. What was your job? Um, I worked at the uh, White Collar Crimes Bureau at the DA's office between college and law school, and we investigated white collar crimes like bank fraud and insider trading and, you know, uh, more complex fraud cases where, uh, you know, the, the, the investigations required more kind of like prolonged poking and undercover work and stuff like that. And so I was, I was a, you know, investigative analyst, which is a glorified term for paralegal, senior paralegal, shall we say. Um, and, uh, so, you know, I was, I was a senior paralegal working on like white collar crimes prosecution. And, uh, do you, now what do you currently do as a lawyer? Oh, I'm a, I'm a small town lawyer now. Um, I, I do, you know, real estate and land use, small business, some nonprofit stuff, things like that. You're so are you in the courtroom? No. That requires a whole different um mindset and staff. Um and I, I work by myself right now and I'm I'm thinking about hiring somebody. So uh as far as working um, with I non to have a, a fairly um, yeah, yeah, you cut out. Uh, what did you say? Um, I'm always cutting out. Cut it out. Anyway, uh, my <laughs> my question was: so you deal with all this nonprofit? I assume the dairymen are a nonprofit. Is 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 it your experience in dealing with nonprofits? Why that hat gets passed around at your games? Um. No, it's not. Uh, so we we have a nonprofit sponsor. We ourselves are not a nonprofit, and that is kind of just because, like, I I have a nonprofit who has agreed to like do our books for free. Oh. So I'm not in a hurry to you know do them ourselves. Is it uh, true? Is it true a nonprofit vintage baseball team that you have to clear out your bank account at the end of every year? No, I don't see why that would be true. Okay, that's just something I've heard. I don't have a club. I don't know anything. Who said that? I don't know. I'm not putting out names. I'm just, <laughs> it's just something I've heard that you have to, uh, like uh, a vintage baseball I, club that's a nonprofit would go and buy a bunch of bats and balls and things for the team at the end of the year to get that bank account empty for the next year. That's not a thing? Um. I can think of a few reasons why a team might do that, you know, like ease of bookkeeping or record keeping, especially, you know, I'll say, okay, we raised $8,000 this year, you know, and like, that's what we have for the season. And, you know, we want to spend it for, I don't know what, I, I don't know why they would do that, but I am not 
aware of any legal requirement for a nonprofit to have a zero balance in their bank account on January 1st. That doesn't make any sense to me. Okay, good. I've learned something. Let me, uh, let me, let me get a question in before we go. Uh, just off the top of your head, what is your most successful fundraiser? For anybody that might be listening and interested in fundraising or trying to fundraise, what, what was your most uh, successful? The way that I started was I went around and I like asked lots of people for donations, whatever it was. You want to give 30 bucks? Great. I went around to like community leaders and like other businesses, people that I knew, people that I didn't know, but I just like pounded the pavement and, you know, raised a couple grand. And then I transitioned eventually into like, by just by like being a community guy and just being out there, um, you know, I was able to find a few people um, who wanted to make larger yearly donations. Um, and so, uh, most importantly, quick plug for our largest donor, the Livestock Foundation. Um, our second baseman uh, is a very successful businessman, and uh, he has a nonprofit arm called the Livestock Foundation. And, you know, so eventually, uh, like they became our largest sponsor and a few other relationships that I was able to build in the community with people who just like wanted to like, you know, I showed them the products that we were putting out and they said, I want to support this community thing. And so, you know, at this point I spend a lot less time on fundraising than I used to because I just like those $30 donors, I don't even go to them anymore. Um, I focus on the, the people who want to give, you know, $500 and up. Enough, enough money so everyone on the team can have a filet mignon dinner and you can just whip out the credit card. That's what you're looking yeah. for. That's what we're all looking for. A little surf and turf for the team. Why? Hey, man, you know, I, I, I don't blame you. And, you know, I've, I've gotten spoiled in some respects. But in, in other respects, like, I put the work in and raised this money. So, you well, know, that's I don't true. feel bad about spending it on us. And that's why more captains events, you were talking earlier about how a captain event uh, is like the all-star thing, the Martin. And, uh, you know, uh, the Frankie Muth Festival that I did had a captain's event on the Friday night. Captains by far put in the most work. They put it, they, they have to feel all of the emotions. Uh, they are nervous all week about having enough guys to play. They're the ones finding guys when they don't have enough. Uh, they're the ones doing most of the setup in most cases uh, and tear down. The captains should be rewarded as much as humanly possible uh, in this vintage baseball game. I don't think uh, anyone could disagree with that because if you are if you don't pull your weight as a captain, you no longer become a captain, I guess, and kind of get booted out of the team. Well, what I would say to, to any captain who wants to, you know, expand their fundraising opportunities just like hit the pavement keep records you know figure out who wants to be a recurring donor for 250 bucks a year and then eventually you'll move into people who want to be recurring donors for 500 bucks a year and then you know at some point you you can start asking people whether it's wealthy individuals who just care about the community or or private foundations for grants or whatever, you can start asking them for one, two, five grand at a pop, um, you know, and and also the social media presence and like put yourself out there. 
like show potential donors that like, Hey, this is a serious thing. And like, I'm not just going to take your thousand dollars and blow it on some dumb stuff. Like this is what I'm going to do with the money. And so this is what I provide. And if you would like to support that, here's what I can do for you. And it helps that you're a lawyer. You know how to talk to people. I, well, you know, sometimes. I mean, it's a matter, it's a very matter of fact thing. Look at, give me this money. This is what it's for. Maybe you'd like to support it. Maybe you wouldn't, but give me the money. <laughs> I will say that like you, you, you know, your first few times asking people for money, it's like your first few times having sex. You have no idea what you're doing and you mess it up. That, and that know, was only the first, that was only the first few times for you. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm over 50 i still don't uh, feel like i know what i'm doing two, somebody can somebody three, talk to me about this here, here. Me. um well that's <laughs> you know i i just like anything you have to be bad at it before you get good at it and you know someday you'll be 80 years old and you'll tell people that you got it all figured when out when i get into the retirement uh, homes i hear it gets a little freaky, freaky in the retirement homes. So, you know, looking forward to getting gonorrhea as much as possible. Uh, Nicholas, we're going to get you out of here on uh, a little segment. I finished most of my interviews on called giving you the old pepper. Are you ready? You, uh, I don't know what's happening, but I feel like it's going to be a bunch of questions and quick sessions. So yeah. See, here we go. What is your favorite ice cream flavor? Uh, anything with Reese's in it. Name one of your favorite smells. Smells? Yes. Uh, fresh cut hay in the barn. Name a pet peeve you have. Dragging your feet while you walk. On a scale of 1 to 10, how quick are you to anger in road rage situations? 7. What is one of your favorite board games? Catan. What is your second favorite color? Red. Name a celebrity you have a crush on. Uh... Kevin Costner. Good one. What is your favorite side dish? Uh, good coleslaw. It's so hard to find. How do you eat an Oreo? All at once. What was your first car? 1998 Mercury Tracer. What was your first concert? Uh... Andrew W.K. Uh, your girlfriend's name is Leah, is that correct? Yes. Where was your first date with Leah? Brussels General Store. Hmm. Uh, paper, rock, or scissors? Rock. All right. And who is your favorite United States president? <laughs> Teddy Roosevelt. Damn it. I was trying to double my, <laughs> I was trying to double my buddy. Uh, <laughs> uh, it was going to be four. It was going to be four. I was going to double it to $2. That's right. You can find me on Venmo yeah, for a yeah, dollar. Yeah. 
Uh, Nicholas, uh, thanks for stopping in. Uh, Rudy, you got anything else uh, for Nick before he's out of here? Rudy? Rudy, you're muted. You're muted, Rudy. We can't hear you. Nick, can you hear him? No, he's muted. He's got to be muted. He's definitely muted. Oh, you know what happened? There it is. <laughs> the mic is muted. Oh, so, no. so the mic is muted, but not on the screen. I was just saying it was fantastic to meet you and, and get a chance to talk to you. Fellas, uh, this was super cool. I wasn't really sure what to expect. Um, I listened to a few episodes. Um, we didn't I'm, even get to talk about so many things with you. Like, that's what happens when you have a guest on here that yeah. knows and is passionate about the vintage game like like you are, Mr. Franson. It it takes up a lot of time, which is no complaints. I mean, that's what we want, but then we can't get to a lot of stuff, and it ticks us off. Like all the talking <laughs> shit you were hoping I was going to do. We didn't get to that. No, we, we, we don't do that here. <laughs> we don't do that here. Uh <laughs> You're not going to find any of that on any of the other episodes. Uh, no, I've listened to a few, and you know, it, it seems fantastic. I, it, I think it's super cool that you guys do this. Um, you know, and and uh, I, I, I listen. I listen basically when there's stuff on there that you know about people that I know, and I, I don't know a lot of the Midwest game, so that's kind of, I guess, why I'm like I knew you guys existed for a while before I listened to my first episode um, just because, you know, you guys were, it seemed very, very Midwest focused. And then like Colin Miller started to get me into it. Um, and I guess I'll, I'll, I'll stop my time here by saying that uh, Colin Miller, if there's one person who is, has done more than anybody for me in, in vintage baseball, it's Colin. Um, you know, he, he has been like a, a guiding light and a mentor in a few different respects, not just in baseball. Um, and you know, the, the energy that he brings to his team, you know, I, I, I think I struggle to match like what I do with the village he does by himself. Um, so I'm continually in awe of him and also keep telling him that he needs an assistant. <laughs> yeah, we've, uh, I've interviewed Colin. I had a couple episodes with Colin actually, cause much like this, we ran out of time on, on a lot of stuff and uh great guy. I know that I speak for Rudy when I say that we are very much looking forward to seeing you on the field, uh, especially as now we travel and we're doing play-by-play and stuff like that. So we will probably cross paths in the future, in the flesh, as they say. I look forward to the day, gentlemen. Thank you very much for your time tonight. And uh, we thank you. Rudy, always a pleasure with you. Uh, your fathering moment of the week before we go. Oh yeah. Um, Hey, new parents, here's what you got to do. Get the diaper and the wipes ready before you take the old diaper off. That's what that's, that's always do it. Doesn't never fail. Uh, and if you're looking for a, um, suggestion, I got a couple of shows that I've been watching and I just finished uh, the Beef, you got to watch The Beef if you like cooking shows at all. It has Jeremy Allen White from Shameless. 
Uh, it's just one season. It just started, but it's a phenomenal show, and I think you'll see that across the internet that it's a it's a great show. I also watched the rehearsal. Uh, it really messed with my mind. I don't know what's going on completely there. That's on HBO Plus. That was interesting and weird, and uh, and I also just watched. Uh, just down on Netflix was a uh, documentary about Woodstock 1999 and what a what a fire festival that was and, and how disgusting that was. So there's three things for you guys to watch. Uh, don't forget, uh, Rudy and I are going to be doing year-end awards uh, this year. We're also going to be inducting people into the Roller Out the Barrel hall of fame and that's past people that invented the game of baseball and had big impact on baseball and players and everything from the beginning but we're also inducting people that have had the biggest impact on the reincarnation of vintage baseball and you know we don't know where it's going to go we're just doing it for fun uh we don't even know how many we're going to do uh, but we're going to do something like that. We also have the image contest. If you have a picture out there that you want to possibly be the image of the year, send it to barrelrollerpod at gmail.com. You can find us on the Twitters. You can find us on the Facebooks. Uh, oh, yeah, and the Roller Out the Barrel Classic just found a home, but I can't officially announce it. But a uh, big, interesting tournament coming in May to the Ohio area. So, uh, Rudy, do you have anything on top of that? I'm tired. Nah, this has been uh, this has been a treat, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, I look forward to because there's going to be an episode too, Nick. Just get used to it, uh, Nick. We just, Nick, uh, we have to talk about baseball yeah. as a kid, man. We, yeah. we we have to talk about why Bull Durham is the best baseball movie of all time. Ooh, oh, yes. we can do that too. Oh my God, I'm so excited. Bull Durham. Love it. Okay. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Keep up with the downloads. I appreciate you. And uh, tell them, Rudy. And ladies and gentlemen, keep it station to station. And we'll see you out in the field. If you can walk out there. I can't. I'm old. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>